Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Carolina Kupertetzel. This is my first podcast that I'm recording for the learning scientists. Very excited about this. Today, um, we are recording from Scotland. And I have um, the pleasure to have Dr. Naomi Winstone with me here. She came all the way up from um, Surrey um, to give a talk uh, as part of the Teaching Innovation in Learning Enhancement Network. So I'm very lucky to have her here today. And obviously, I had to use the opportunity to ask her if she wants to be on our Learning Scientist podcast. Um, Naomi is actually um, well known on our website. Uh, she has contributed um, to guest posts um, in the past. She is um, the head of Department of Higher Education at the University of Surrey. So um, welcome, Naomi. Can you maybe please um, briefly introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um my background is is as a psychologist, a cognitive psychologist, but it was when um, I was working as a, a program director and having responsibility for undergraduate education in psychology, I realised that there was something not quite right with the way that we were talking about feedback in higher education. So together with a, a colleague of mine, Dr. Rob Nash, who's now at Aston University, we started thinking about how we could apply our background as psychologists to understanding how to make the feedback process more effective for both staff and for students. Thank you very much. This sounds something that we all need in higher education, but education in general as well. Well, it's great to have an expert in assessment and feedback because as we know, uh, particularly, for example, here in the UK, it's always an issue in NSS um, ratings, um, the National Student Survey ratings, that um, feedback is um, a a factor that um, students are often not happy with. And when we look into the literature and uh, we start thinking about what effective feedback is, um, we see that there are basically two parts of it. Um, so what are the parts? What what makes feedback effective? I think one of the, the, the problems we have is that we think of feedback as, as a product. It is a set of comments that might be given to a student, either written or spoken on something that they've done, a piece of work or a task that they've completed. But that's actually only a very tiny bit of the, of the process. Um, the most important thing where, where the impact of feedback really starts to happen is when we look at how the students make use of that feedback, how they understand it, make sense of the information it contains, put that into practice in terms of what they might be doing next. So feedback in its entirety is, is a process where there is some information that's provided to a learner, then there's some process of sense making and uptake of that information 
if we just focus on feedback as, as a product, we're just stopping at that point at which some information has been provided. It only really has this impact and leads to some kind of change in the way learners think or behave once they take on um, their role in the process and do something with it. So what you're saying is basically when we saw Think about effective feedback as having two parts to it. The first one that you explained is the provision of it. So this is basically what the instructor, the teacher, lecturer is doing. So providing feedback to the student. And then in the second part, um, this is where the magic actually happens. That's the part about the feedback engagement and the feedback uptake and use um, by the student. So let's talk, talk a little bit about the first part, um, so the first component to say so. Um, what is considered good feedback? How should feedback be provided to students? Well, I think, again, even if we are thinking just about that bit of the, the, the provision, what happens next still has to be in our minds if we want that feedback to be effective. So rather than having lots and lots of detailed comments, it's really about those comments being actionable, that there's something in the information that we're giving to learners that guides them towards what they might do next or how they might develop in some way. So particularly in the UK where um, students' ratings of assessment and feedback um, talk about what they're given, we seem to have got ourselves into a situation where we see good feedback as being really detailed feedback. But you can provide very, very detailed information that actually gives learners nowhere to go and it's not actionable. So I think that element of ensuring that the comments we give students have something that they can do in response to those comments and then secondly, I think the really thing, uh, important thing to think about is this issue of design. Where can that feedback go? Um, David Bowd uh, in, uh, in Australia, he talks about feedback as having somewhere to land, that we design assessments so that students can take those comments, that information, and put it into practice somewhere, where, whether that might be another task, it might be a classroom discussion, it might even be something that they don't start to think about until a little while later but there is somewhere for that feedback to land so that it can have an impact on something they do at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. So there is a thing about too much of a good thing so feedback that is like very lengthy could for example um, overload a student and they don't really know what to action what to do with it next or what aspects of the feedback to use for their next assignment for example. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can we can kill students with kindness by giving them too much information. And this is where I think we can draw upon research evidence to inform the way we think about this. Um, one of the things that Rob Nash and I did was reviewed the literature on um, how psychology can inform our understanding of feedback. And one of the things we came across was something called the information avoidance effect, where if we feel we're being given some information that requires us to do something that's quite difficult, quite effortful, we can almost shut off to that information because we think this is just going to be too much effort and we'd rather not know. And I think the same thing can happen with feedback, that we can give students too many things, um, too many comments on their work, and they can just feel completely overwhelmed and not know what are the priorities for me to work on right now. So I think really targeting um, the, the important skill development um, strategies, things that students need to work on right away, 
is a way of maybe avoiding that that over overwhelming sense of there's too much I need to do and too much I need to fix in my work. This brings us to an observation that um, I think many teachers and instructors uh, have is um, that feedback uptake by students is sometimes quite low. So teachers and lecturers spend lots of time putting together um, written feedback, um, lots of information in the feedback, um, actional points, generating feedback in a way that is useful, potentially useful. But then when they actually um, ask students or if they look into, if you use some kind of uh, virtual learning environment, if you look, if students actually looked at their feedback, you see that some never do. Um, they just um, ignore the feedback that was given. They don't read it. So um, why do you think? What, um, what does research, research tell us? Um, why is feedback uptake by some students sometimes so low? What are the reasons behind that? So what the research would tell us is that there are a series of factors that would influence students' engagement with feedback. On a very basic level, one reason why they may not engage with feedback is because they, they don't understand what the feedback is telling them. Um, we often use language of rubrics or grading criteria or mark schemes in our comments, and we're talking to students in academic language when we're providing feedback comments, when what we really want to be doing is having a dialogue with them, a personal discussion. So there's that, that um, sense of the comments sometimes being quite difficult to decode and understand. Then there's a, a barrier that can come in for students where they're not really sure how they should act upon feedback. So they might be reading the comments saying that they need to improve, let's say, their, their critical evaluation or their structure. And they might then think, well, how do I do that? What does it mean and how do I take the steps that I need to in order to be able to improve that? And then I think one of the other barriers that comes through is where, um, as I was saying, we don't give students somewhere for that feedback to land. If we're giving students a task right at the end of a module or a unit and there's nowhere for that feedback to go, perhaps it's not surprising if they don't read the detailed comments because where, where are they going to use them? So I think part of it comes from um, understanding students' difficulties when they want to engage with the feedback and they perhaps can't because they can't understand it or know how to use it. But also, rather than assuming they're not interested, having a look at our assessment design and thinking about maybe their lack of engagement is a sign to us that we have not designed things in a way that enables them to feel in control of using feedback. So you mentioned control of being... Uh, in control of their own learning so this brings the aspect of students as agents right so as basically it's like I, th I know that's a big thing I guess um, being like an equal partner with um, with a student as a lecturer and being basically this is acknowledging that this is a two-way street um, so how can we then increase um, the feedback uptake by students what can instructors do um, to increase that feedback uptake. So uh, Rob and I, we wrote a paper about responsibility sharing and feedback and we, we said exactly that, that it's 50-50, it's a complete partnership. We've got this, this, this provision of feedback and the use of feedback and if one of those two partners are not really doing their bit, it's not going to work effectively. Um, if we want students to, to engage with feedback, perhaps a very simple thing we can do is put them in control of requesting feedback. 
Now, even with um, a lot of written tasks with large cohorts, this is still possible. Um, one example is using um, interactive cover sheets, where when students submit a piece of work, they, they ask for feedback on specific parts of what they've done, the things that they really want to know about. In that sense, as educators, we can target our feedback in a way that we think would be more useful for them. But it's also putting them in control of asking the right questions in the first place, thinking about their work, evaluating their work, so that they can then take more control. I think beyond that, we can also think about uh, designing tasks so that the use of feedback is built into that process. One of the challenges, I think, is where we have a piece of written work at the end of a module or a unit, and we spend hours, as you say, writing very detailed comments that is really no use at that point in time. So one of the things that I talk to educators about is repurposing that effort and putting it somewhere else within the assessment cycle where it's going to have more impact. For example, um, inviting students to submit a draft or an outline of the piece of work and at that point putting the time into the really detailed comments because there's somewhere for them to go, there's somewhere for them to land when they submit that final piece of work. And then when they do submit the final piece of work, grade it, maybe grade it against a rubric but not necessarily provide really detailed comments at that point. But what we can do is reserve a portion of that grade for something that demonstrates how students have used the feedback from the draft submission. So for example, invite students to, to write a letter as we as academics would write a letter to a journal editor saying how we've used um, reviewers' comments to make revisions to our work. Invite students to do the same and then give them a portion of the grade for how well they've used feedback. So it's, it's back to that issue of design, it's building it into the process so that students feel this is actually something that is going to be really important to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, that comes together to, with the point of the feedback that you provide can be used right away. So they can basically see, well, this is, um, those are the specific points that I could work on right now and that can reflect and back and have basically um, an effect on my final Final grade. They are interested in grades, so basically their final assi um, assessment of their work. Yeah, that's that's great. So I have two final questions for you. Um, the first one is, um, what is your top tip for um, assessment and feedback for teachers or lecturers? I think it really has got to be this this idea of design that feedback is not just something that comes after a task has been completed it's it's not a set of comments it's an ongoing process and we have to design our assessment patterns so that feedback has somewhere to land so it's useful sometimes to map out a student's assessment journey better to do it across a program rather than just in a module but actually look at where feedback is coming whether it's coming at a point where it can be useful to students or whether actually you could repurpose the time that goes into writing all those comments to another point in the cycle where it's going to have greater impact. And coming back to the point, um, and again combining this with my last question, um, of students being um, the agent and the driver of their own learning, um, what is your top tip for students uh, when it comes to feedback and uptake of feedback and use of feedback? I think it, it has to be to, to ask, to talk to us. Um, we are, will often put on extra office hours or tutorials for students to talk about their feedback and they're not always confident enough to do that. 
And I think if we can turn feedback more into this two-way dialogue, then if students can come and talk to us, how much more we can discuss with them in person about their work. We can demonstrate things. We can point them to other resources. If we just focus on written comments to do all the hard work, it's perhaps no surprise that both educators and students find uh, the feedback process to be really quite frustrating on many levels. Thank you so much, Naomi, for um, providing us with this great interview and um, contributing to our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists.